Hello and welcome back to the Replatform podcast. It's myself, James, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Paul. How are you doing today, Paul? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Um, I believe that you've been having fun this morning with a broken laptop and therefore scrabbling around to try and find a way to join in this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm on my phone, which is interesting, but hopefully it should be okay. Yeah, very annoyed about the laptop, though. Excellent. The joys of technology uh, and uh, remote working. Uh, Cool. So on to another episode today. And uh, I know we keep saying it, but I I find all of these episodes interesting and exciting. And we've got a slightly different uh, uh, approach today. So we're talking to somebody I've known for years through the industry, highly, highly respected independent consultant and really good track record in senior levels of e-commerce management. Um, We've asked her to come along and talk to us today about how do leadership teams prepare and get ready for a complex IT project like Replatforming? Because often you find that there isn't perfect alignment within businesses or there's not enough definition of ownership within a business before and it causes all sorts of problems later on. Um, so we're delighted to uh, invite uh, and welcome Gabrielle Hayes onto uh, today's podcast. Uh, welcome, Gabrielle. How are you? Hi, James. I'm well. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Hi. Yeah, yeah, getting there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. I'm very excited to be here with you guys today. So thank you very much for the invitation. Oh, we're, we're delighted to have you on. We, we're glad you could spare the time. And you've got a really interesting background because you've been uh, an e-commerce director. You've, you've led um, uh, commercial teams from an e-commerce point of view. You're a, a non-executive director for businesses. You've got a lot of experience in the industry. And, you've, and you now run a, your own consultancy, Solvery Advisory, uh, working with loads of clients, like diverse range, including Sweaty Betty, LK Bennett Hobbs. It's a really interesting kind of mix of people you've worked with. Um, but I'll let you do the, the better introduction. Like, do you want to give people a kind of flavour of, of who you are and what you're doing at the moment? Sure. Um, I think you, you summed it up nicely. Um, I have been in the UK for about 14 years. I grew up in America. And since I've been in the UK, I've worked... Um, in a variety, helping retailers and brands really launch and grow their online business. So I come at at retail from the e-commerce, understanding the e-commerce business model, and then how to help brands either um, start it or grow it. Uh, And that ranges from interim roles, running e-commerce teams, as you mentioned, for Sweaty Betty, for Hobbs, for LK Bennett, and um, a billion years ago for the white company. And then doing strategic projects where uh, might be looking at where to expand internationally, how to manage um, the omnichannel customer experience and everything in between. And so uh, now my time is split between my non-exec roles. I sit on the boards of some retail technology businesses that are part of the, uh, the ecosystem, the retail uh, point of sale and e-commerce ecosystem, as well as uh, on Tate Galleries, uh, sorry, Tate Enterprises, which is all the revenue generating activities of Tate Galleries. And then I also do um, some advisory work uh, on the side, working with uh, different brands, again, on, on helping them launch and grow some of their, their, uh, their digital initiatives, actually. So doing some recent work with Arcadia, with the School of Life, um, MacArthur Glen, and those are some of the more recent ones. Great. Um, yeah, it sounds like you've got a very cool background. Um, so I'll ask the first question. So you've obviously worked with a lot of client teams at different levels, with businesses of different levels. In general, how well prepared do you find that leadership teams are for technology projects and big technology projects? Well, 
I, I find, I think people are getting better. Leadership teams are getting better. Uh, they're better prepared now, I think, than they ever used to be. And that's simply a function of they've been doing more of them. So these sort of transformation, uh, digital transformation projects have been happening for a while now. There are so few businesses that have gotten away with not addressing this in their in their ecosystem, in their tech ecosystem. So you're finding more leadership teams now that have experience with this, but it's still not nearly what it could or should be. And that's, that's really um, because there are, you always want to, like any project, you have a budget for it, you have a time frame for it, and it's very easy to see the upside and it's a pain and it's boring to think of all the things that could go wrong or all of the contingency that you need to build into projects like this. So um, people who I'm always wary of leadership teams uh, who haven't been through this or haven't been burned or been through a bad experience or uh, have sort of rose colored glasses on because we all know that these are, these are pretty hairy um, in the best of times. So it's getting better. It's still not where it needs to be. Yeah, I, I think that's the classic, isn't it? That, that bit about being hairy, it's so true. It's, 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 if somebody hasn't been through it before, there can sometimes be that expectation that, well, we've got the money and we've got people. Why is there going to be a problem? And not really properly understanding that a project with complex technology and lots of people is inherently prone to risk. And it's just a reality you have to face into. Mm-hmm. It is. And it's also... Um, it's also because I think e-commerce has been seen in a silo for a long time and it's come up and particularly, obviously I'm not talking about uh, pure plays, but I am talking about uh, omnichannel retailers where, where they've had a physical estate, but that e-commerce is something that has sort of been tacked on and it's easy to think, okay, we're just going to replace that bit of tech over there. But the fact is that it, it reaches every single part of the business. And unless you have a steering committee uh, some kind of a leadership team that incorporates the viewpoints and perspectives of every single functional head, you're in trouble. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, every single functional head. And I've seen it, and I, even I've been guilty of some projects where where the time pressure has rushed you in and you've missed out a stakeholder simply because you weren't aware yeah. of them. And then you suddenly realise, hang on a minute, well, nobody's spoken to that person in whether it's down in the supply chain area or the wrong person within retail is representing it and it is important so that leads me on to a question and maybe I, i'm going to fork this question just to be a pain in the backside but because you just touched on about where people haven't gone through it before so how can a leadership team prepare itself for like a replatform a project and maybe answer that with it in the lens of if a if a leadership team's uh, been before been through it before versus a leadership team where nobody at that level has done it before well if if the leadership, somebody has been through it before, it's really about leveraging that experience and communicating it across the business as a whole. It comes down to, and again, so this is the same for um, whether they've had experience or whether they haven't. It's about getting people together, exposing them to uh, that perspective, whether that perspective comes internally or externally. So maybe that's a breakfast, maybe that's a, um, a planning session. It's a, it's a place where 
everybody gets together and it's all out and it says, okay, before we've even started, let's, let's do, uh, let's hear from some people who've had this experience and hear the highs and the lows and understand where it could go wrong, where it could go right, how we could, how we can achieve some quick wins, where we need to be very careful. It's, it's that simple. It's, it's really getting, getting people in a room or virtually as it is now and hearing from people who've already been through it and get their advice. And it, it, it really puts a, um, it, it lets people hear from the horse's mouth uh, what, they, what they need to consider and, and that it, all the complexities of a potential project. It's not to scare people. It's really just to raise the awareness. So it's getting, you know, everybody in our networks has these people we can call on. Have a have a, a lunchtime session and invite them to join um, a very open conversation, or if it's somebody in the business, just really do a, a fireside chat interview with them to pick apart what are the kinds of things to think about for the rest of the business to hear. And then maybe it's a video that's put put out to the rest of the business. It's um, that kind of internal PR and internal comms that can really help. I yeah, I think. Uh, sorry, Jen, go on. I was going to say, there's one bit I missed on that question. Sorry. So we'll do that and then we'll come back to yours. If that's all right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th I think that's a really good point about the, the being open and talking to people, setting expectations and trying to demystify it can help. But that leads me on to the second part of that, which is what are the common issues you've seen um, that, that come through, you know, not, not planning or not doing this communication? What, what are the issues that manifest later on and how can you avoid them? So I've, I mean, all of us have been in situations where um, we, the project hasn't been planned out as effectively as it should have been, uh, where things come up that you just never even anticipated. I've learned the hard way, <laughs> a lot of these, and we all have the scars on our back. Some of the things that I found in common uh, that, that are really challenging are when businesses underestimate the reach of the project, what I just mentioned before, they underestimate that putting in a new front end, even if that's what they call it, it touches, it goes all the way back into product development. The integrations that are needed are from every single part of the business. The knock-on effects of if something happens in one place and it reaches back into some other place that you didn't even think was connected or, or, or can, can be significant. So there's a lack of understanding of how it all fits together. And that's the business sponsor's job, as we just mentioned, to really articulate and communicate what those inter interdependencies are. The second issue is when businesses, either they don't budget enough or put enough time in, I've seen both, um, for testing. So testing is, I find, too often seen as sort of an afterthought or Oh, we'll get every, everybody in the business to do a little bit of testing and then, and then we'll go live. And, and this is a tragic mistake in my opinion. And I have been there and I have underestimated it. So I'm, I'm a huge proponent now of having the budget to hire outside resource to and specialist testing resource to test all of the integrations, to do user acceptance testing, to have test scripts that are things of beauty to, to really manage all of the potential use cases. It, and I've very rarely been in a situation where the in-house team can do it appropriately only because 
the time it takes to do appropriately. And then there is a level of technical expertise that's needed to properly stress test all of the integrations. And so that's where um, it has to be properly resourced and funded. That makes sense. And I think, um, yeah, I completely agree with the, uh, the benefits of bringing an external resource, particularly on the testing side. Um, so you've talked about how kind of big and broad these projects can be, um, which I totally agree with. Um, ultimately, like how can these senior teams balance out the amount of work that's required for these larger kind of technology projects with kind of the BAU um, side to running an e-commerce channel? Like how can, um, how can these projects be adequately resourced and you've talked about this a little bit now uh, with bringing an external resource um, but do you have any other tips around that well it's, it's the classic it's just the classic trade-off of how do you how do you manage BAU which could be all you ever do all the time uh, versus a more forward-thinking strategic perspective I think again it goes back to really proper planning and a willingness to to really see everything for how it is. And that, that is to say, that proper planning will say, okay, and this is with an external resource, or this is with somebody who knows how these projects run, or with your internal um, experience to say, we know that these tasks are gonna take this much time to manage on this project. We, we know that in the, the, the worst case scenario, it'll take this much, best case scenario, it'll take this much. Do we have the internal resource to manage the worst case scenario? And no one does. I mean, it's, it's, it's really very rare. So you then have to run a rule over each of those areas and say, where can we afford to bring in temporary help? Um, how can we back up? How can we even second people within one part of the business onto this particular project team to ring fence the project and and so that frees up people to address BAU as well as it frees up the, the leadership team to really look at the strategic outputs down the line where they need to be managing how, how this project is going to move their strategic objectives forward. So if you don't have dedicated people and time in the business, it will never work. And I think this, you know, that, that, that's, um, really obvious that this cannot be somebody's second or third job uh, it, to, to manage these kinds of projects. It has to be their sole job. Some people, it won't be their sole job, but it, the, the core team of the implementation team, it is theirs. From that and from the, the, sheer, the real honesty you get about understanding what tasks are involved and who to put on them and where you need extra help, um, then you can see better how to manage the strategic versus BAU conversation. And I also, I also think that um, from a cultural perspective, emphasizing, placing a premium on that kind of strategic output um, and viewpoint really needs to come from the top. It needs to come from the board level, from the exec, senior exec team level, where they say, okay, BAU is one thing. How are we taking time to lift our heads up and look ahead? And I, I know that everybody does their annual away days, their strategy days. It's useful, it's fun, but it's more impressive when the uh, leadership teams build in that kind of time into 
the normal running of the business. So it, it's a check-in and it's a, it's a progress and it's a space for conversation about those more strategic things. So that starts from the top. So inherently there's going to be risk in these projects and you and James have both already uh, pointed that out. Um, what advice do you have for kind of, I guess, setting expectations around that risk um, and kind of planning around it? Again, this goes, this goes back to some internal PR. So that's about saying, okay, how, who's on the steering committee and creating a steering committee for the project. I've seen this work really well, um, where you get people involved that are from across the business and the steering committee does not need to be, you know, doesn't need to need to meet every week. It can be as sort of low touch as the business wants, but it's a, it's a way in a formal place for reps from every part of the business to understand what's happening in the project, to have input into it, and to help prioritize things. And that's really about bringing people along for the ride and making sure that everyone feels invested and engaged. And I say internal PR because that is, it is what that is. It's saying, Come, come along, you're a part of this, we need your advice. Now, obviously, not everybody's gonna have a say in the direction of the project uh, because you need decisions to be taken along the way, but they will, it is a forum for them to be heard and to raise issues that they have in their areas that could contribute to um, a really good imp implementation or which could prohibit uh, a good implementation which you might not have otherwise known. So I really like that as a as a, a very low tech thing to do, but it is about a steering committee that meets um, as regularly as as you need them to. Maybe it's a you know an hour every two weeks, but that it is uh, consistent and that there's an agenda and that people feel heard. Yeah, I, I think that's critical, and it's a really important point you tease out that steering. Because when you say steer co, sometimes people panic and go massive organization, huge pro. And they panic rather than thinking that actually steer is more about the principle of governance and every yes. project has to be governed. And it doesn't matter whether it's two people meeting every two weeks, as long as they're doing it. Yep, definitely. And I, and it, and people always say, Oh, I don't have time for this or whatever, but you get everybody in the room and invariably really brilliant things come to light. And then, and people do start to get invested. Um, but it, it comes down to whoever's managing that steering committee has to be doing a really good job to be organized and, and on top of it yeah and it, it links back to your early point about the ownership pieces if the person who's the sponsor and the c-suite or you know the owner lead isn't taking it seriously and uh, says they don't have the time then the people below don't prioritize it because they don't see it as important yeah and i i've learned this the hard way um, i i uh, have had some implementations earlier in my career where i didn't take a leadership role and where i kind of left it to other people and that was not the right thing to do and so now it's i've learned that, that the business sponsor really needs to support and back up the project team to to get and to have cover be good cover for them um, and when it comes to managing the internal this internal pr process that's where they play a critical role yeah definitely and when you've um when you've seen projects succeed what have you found to be the key reasons? Uh, and is this down to how the project's managed or is it the people or is it a mixture? Oh gosh, um, it, it's a mixture. It's, it's when, it's when the, the, there is very, very good 
organizations are having having brilliant uh, program management is is just key. And from that, everything else follows through, I think. Uh, but then it's also about having a senior management team and a business sponsor who are realistic. They're realistic about what the project can deliver. They're re realistic and ruthless about prioritization. And it always goes back to the Moscow exercise where you, I, I, I find that's, that's always a very painful, very necessary um, day to spend where you go through every single bit of functionality and what it can deliver and you have to prioritize what do you need now what do you need later and because we cannot do it all now and that's always where there's tension across the business because everybody thinks that theirs should their their functionality should be done now um but it can't and when you get everybody in the room they then say oh gosh well of course we can't do all of this now so it's, it's kind of like a, a horse trading exercise but that everybody plays a part in. And so I think that that's the successful implementations I've seen are where the senior management team has a realistic expectation of what can be delivered and that the, the project team feels supported in doing that. And there are always tensions about deadlines. There are always tensions about cost. And again, where there is a realistic expectation of the cost, that is always, a much better place to be, which isn't to say that there's tons of money to spend on it. It simply means that everyone knows what the cost, uh, what the what the budget is, and then how people are going to spend it, and what those trade-offs might need to be. So it's it's really about a, re a reasonable, bringing a reasonable mindset, um, and coming from a place of support rather than a, a place of um, just driving people to deliver something that that can tip into the unrealistic very quickly. But I don't think that's a really important thing because it, it's context, right? And you get a lot of time where people are told, no, you can't have that for launch. And it's, but why? And if you set the expectation of why and the trade-off and the implications so that people understand there's a rationale rather than they're just being told no, it's, it's about, I think it's that, you know, treating people with the respect they deserve in their roles in the business. That's a brilliant point. Absolutely. And, it, and it's much more about no and here's why, or it could be about, yes, you can have that, but what will you give up? So it, it's, you know, it, it's uh, semantics, but it really, it's all also about human psychology. So I think you, you make a really good point. Yeah, the human psychology is so important, isn't it? Because if you get stakeholders off, um, uh, off, uh, I'm wrong word I'm using, off site, that's not right. If you get them annoyed from the start, uh, it's very hard to bring back that trust and get them bought in. So you need them on side throughout, otherwise you can get some really annoying obstacles. You can, and that's where silos can be, can be really awful. Um, and people get very entrenched in their own silos and the so much of the business sponsors time is spent trying to bridge those gaps mm. uh, and trying to talk people in off a ledge and and that's where i think you know i'm i'm at the age and uh, i know you guys have experience in this too where we've now been through replatforms you know 15 years of replatforms and they look a lot different now than they did 15 years ago, uh, but which is brilliant because the, the tech has gotten a lot better. Um, governance has gotten a lot better, but this, the, the psychology is still, 
it's still there and you have to make sure everybody is brought along. It sounds very simplistic. It sounds like uh, I'm being very basic, but I think it's, it's very easy to ignore that kind of advice. And, and, I, and like I said, I've done it. And so now I know that taking the time to get everybody on board and educated about what it means is well, well worth it. I, I couldn't agree more. I think being basic is so important because uh, if you miss the basics, like the foundations of a house, if you don't put the foundations down, it collapses. It doesn't matter how good the design of it is. Um, related to that, because you, you touched on about the importance um, of like le internal leadership and somebody who owns it and, and delivers it. In terms of that internal client lead, because not all client teams have like experienced technical project management people in they often give it to somebody else. How important do you think it is that the client team has a qualified project manager versus actually they just have somebody who owns it and has the right resource to be able to focus and deliver on it? What do you mean? Do you say, are you saying how important is it that the project manager is on staff or are you talking exactly. about the, the Go sorry? Ahead. Yeah, just it's a sorry, I probably phrased that question really poorly, but does the person who's leading it internally for the client, do they need to be have project management experience or do they just need to be somebody who's dedicated to it? And it doesn't matter if they've got, you know, they're a qualified PM, for example, because I've seen it diff done differently where an e-commerce person leads a project, but they have no PM experience versus a project manager leads it, but they've got no e-commerce experience. Yeah, no, I've, I, in, in all the replatforms that I've been a part of, um, I've been the business sponsor and I do not have PM experience and I've always made sure that there is a, a brilliant uh, program director or program manager alongside me um, who is running it. And they are, they are, we work very tightly as a team. Um, I need to do my job. They do their job and we work to support each other. Uh, but, and I don't, I don't think the business sponsor, if they have program management experience, that's, that's brilliant. Uh, but I, I would, I think you need that role dedicated anyway. So it's not like that person, the internal business sponsor is going to be the PM on this. I, I don't think that's very smart because they have a, <laughs> they have a, a business to run. They have a team to manage. So I, I don't think it's, it's necessary. I think the internal business sponsors is much more about uh, making sure that the prioritization is, is aligned, that the rest of the business is on board and managing all those softer elements of the project that we mentioned, while the PM is all about ruthless organization and adherence to deadlines and managing prioritization. That all makes sense and some really good points again. Um, and also, James, in response to what you were saying, I think I've definitely had clients that have assigned that product owner role to someone within the or an existing member of the e-com team more because they've got time than because they're the right fit. And I think that's definitely impacted projects that I've worked on in the past. Um, Gabrielle, another question for you. So what characteristics make a good business sponsor going into a replatforming project or even just a large technology project? Um, I think, I guess what makes anybody a good leader, it, it's about being reasonable about expectations, but also be, being the biggest cheerleader for the project. So these projects are they're very difficult. They are, well, they can be. They are tiring. 
They are, sometimes it feels like you're swimming upstream because everybody's yelling at you for not doing the thing that they want you to do. There are always technical glitches, et cetera, but it can also be incredibly rewarding or else nobody would do it. Um, obviously the business goal to, to deliver a, a beautiful customer experience that, that is completely across every touch point, uh, that, that's, a, that's a fantastic goal to have. So the characteristics I think that make for a good business sponsor are someone who is reasonable about what the project is going to deliver, is brilliant about giving the team cover to get their job done and managing the rest of the business in this way, and then also being incredibly consistent, consistent with what's expected, consistent with um, the, the project goals. So the worst thing you can have is a business lead that doesn't respect governance of a project, doesn't respect that you can't do everything all at once and that you people who come in and business sponsors we've all had them um, and probably have been one in the past where you come in next week and say oh yeah that thing that we wanted to deliver on we're not going to do that now we're going to do something else and you just think are you kidding me i mean it's just not that easy so really staying consistent with the plan and, and uh, respecting that plan, I think, is a, is a key characteristic of what makes for a successful business owner. But also, again, a key motivator. This is the person that's got to keep everybody, um, and particularly the PM, who, who's got to keep all the plates spinning, keep them together and focused and excited about what to do and excited about how to get through the high hurdles that will inevitably come. And on that topic of keeping people together um, to get over the hurdles, which are inevitable, we all know it, we've all seen them, um, conflict happens in projects. It's not inevitable, but I've not worked on a project where there isn't some element of conflict, whether it's a people conflict, a personality thing, or whether it's um, a, an opposing set of requirements and trying to work out whose takes precedent. Um, how what is your advice for client teams how can they manage conflict sensually so it doesn't become people butting heads and they actually turn it into something positive well it goes back to planning at the start well first of all i will say that if there are bad actors along the way there's very little you can do about it you just have to kind of try to ring fence it and minimize it and there are always going to be those people who are more interested in the conflict than they are in actually what it is they, they want to get done so they're, they're, they're drama kings or queens. They're tough. Um, but aside, outside of that, it's the assumption that everybody is, is uh, pulling for the same thing. And it's just that frustrations get in the way, which is to say, you get everybody in a room. And ideally, this happens at the steering committee. This is where these things uh, come out. And, and that the environment is such that and the culture of, of those meetings is such that people feel free to say what's on their mind and to express themselves and and that it is a free flow exchange of ideas so when there is conflict that comes up it's always about saying going back to okay we discussed this this was the plan this is how we're doing this and this is why um, like in any conflict resolution it's about allowing people to feel that they're heard but then also saying, okay, and we have to make a decision and this is the decision that's being made. And it's always better if at the end of the day, you can get everybody together, go out to the pub, throw a few back and just give everybody a, a different perspective and get them out of um, the office and out of that particular way of thinking. Obviously in COVID, when everyone's working remote, that takes on a little bit of a different challenge, a lot of a different challenge. Um, 
and so it can get tough, but it's, it's really just about making sure that people feel heard. Again, that's just basic um, psychology and it's, it's tough. Uh, I've, I've never, I've always had conflict, handled some of it well, some of it not well, but at the end of the day, people have to have enough respect in you as the leader to, or the business sponsor to make a decision about how it's going to go forward. And here's why. And we've just got, we've just got to do this. And we really hope that you're on board and you are listened to, but we've, we've got to, and we need you on board to help us get through this. So, I mean, no magic bullet. I, I wish I knew actually how to, how to do it brilliantly. Um, I know that there are courses, there are some interesting uh, courses that are about conflict resolution and even negotiation. You know, they're, they're half a day courses. And I think those are always worth the investment in time and money for a team um, and for even it might be about getting getting the steering committee having somebody come in at the very beginning and do two hours on what it means to how to do conflict resolution in advance so that everybody's aware of oh okay here's here's the expectation that we're going to act like adults here and and moving forward you've got that to refer to yeah, I think I think that's an important thing is accepting that that with groups of people, conflict can happen and not seeing it as something to be threatened by. Because I think when I was younger, I was more I, I took I internalized and took things more personally in terms of conflict. And mm -hmm. it, what I've learned over the years in projects is when there's a conflict, it's not often a personal thing. And you have to focus on what drives it and how you can pick it, because if it's taken personally, the conflict grows, it doesn't shrink. It's true. And again, I think as a function of age, what it's also important to keep in mind is we are not curing cancer. We are not um, performing CPR on somebody here who's, who's just fallen over. I mean, let's keep it all in perspective. What we're doing is very important. It's, it's important to the business, but let's just step back and say, okay, hang on, let's get everything in, in, in its place. Um, and it kind of takes it down a little bit by having that kind of perspective on what you're doing on the project. Yeah, that's a nice way of framing it, perspective. Um, last question I've got for you is uh, external consultants are common in e-commerce projects. We all know it. We all, we all done that role. Um, but they're not always needed. They're needed in some scenarios and others. When do you think a leadership team needs to consider a consultant? And when, sh when do they need to understand that it won't add value and actually it could actually just make things more complex by bringing another person in? Well, it depends on what kind of consultant you're talking about because, you know, there are lots of different consultants in terms of it could be a, uh, it could be a program manager. It could be a business analyst. It could be a strategic consultant. It could be, um, you know, an IT consultant, any of those things, but it's, it's, a, I would start by, taking a look at what are the skills we have on the team and in the wider business and, and where do we end about selling it into the board? So you have to think about what skills do we have? What, what, what does the board need to hear in order to sign it off in order to feel confident about the project? And that in some cases, um, bringing an external consultant in even for, a week at the very beginning to kind of help set the scene is very useful uh, and, and to present that back to the board. And so, you know, we know sometimes, unfortunately, an outside opinion can be worth more than an inside opinion. It's sad, but true, but sometimes that is the case. 
So that's where you can bring someone in to, to further, um, further the goal and to get some credibility. Or, you know, if you, if you have a lot of that experience already in the team, then you know that you, what you, what you need and what you don't. So I, I also think that it's about the, if the business sponsor is honest with themselves and is pretty good at knowing what they know and what they don't know, then they can go out and bring that skill in um, and use it judiciously. So I also will say there's been no time in my experience when we have not needed outside help on a project like this, whether it's a redesign or a replatform or a much bigger change management program. There's always specialist knowledge that's needed from the outside, whether it's a testing resource, whether it's pro pro project management, whether it's strategic. And I've, I've gone in on replatforming projects as a consultant and I've done workshops for that are two days and all it's done is gotten everybody in the room, get everything aligned out in one place and, and it's just been facilitating. And so that's a, that's been useful as well, where that's not about somebody coming in and muddying the waters per se, but it is about just teasing out what's already there. So I'm not answering your question directly, uh, but it's, um, I think consultants can be really useful when judiciously uh, hired. Um, I'm not, you know, anybody can muddy the waters at any point in time, but it really is up to the business sponsor to know what they need and when, and to be honest about what skills are lacking and what holes they need to fill, as opposed to which ones are simply redundant. Um, I have a question just on that and kind of following on from what you've just said. Um, in, if you were running a kind of a big, or if you were part of a big re-platforming project, what do you think are some of the best areas to externalize? Oh, um, the, the, the program manager, unless, unless the business already has them on staff. Um, so, but so many of the businesses I've been in, which are midsize, um, you know, creative brands, they don't have a team of program and product, product, sorry, program managers, um, and program directors. So bringing in that expertise first. And then understanding when you need to bring in a business analyst, when you need to bring in um, uh, any kind of other specialist uh, testing resource along the way, it's up to them to, to know and assess what skills are in-house and which ones need to be brought in from that perspective. So I, I, I've never seen, the only time I, we had that kind of brilliant, very deep resource at our, at our uh, disposal was I worked on a project for um, the Royal Mail. Again, this was a billion years ago. And the Royal Mail had the most brilliant IT governance structure going. I mean, they had um, really talented people who, solutions architects, uh, BAs, uh, PMs, who were just great at what they did. Um, and that really taught me what all the different functions are on a proper, in proper governance on a team. It's also, good to have a program manager who doesn't come in and say, oh, we need these eight people on the team and they all need to be doing this. A good program manager will say, okay, I know that I can bring this person in at this time, this person in at this time, and, and really manage it quite tightly, but very, very in a very focused way. 
Yeah, and I think I think the advice it comes back to the early point about you have to start with your basic race. You have to understand what skills are needed to deliver the project and audit back against your existing team, and not bring somebody in who's going to tread on the toes of somebody who's already got that knowledge and experience and complement it. And I think that that's a critical part, isn't it? It's resource planning up front that helps you find the right external skill. And then it's chemistry. I mean, let's face it, bring in and interview a bunch of people and see who's got the chemistry to manage the, um, the soft parts. The, because the, the PM, the successful PM, will be able to go and sit on everybody and say, I need you to do this by this time. I really need this. I really need this. And, and they have to do it in a way that elicits a positive response. And that they're not bullies, or that that the, they they get the job done, but in a way that is uh, not super disruptive, and and that is it's really about getting that person in to understand what their style is like and whether that style will gel with the the larger team or not. Yeah, I, I think that's a really nice way way of um, kind of framing it. It's the the personality side and getting people on because you have to know that somebody is going to influence and get things done rather than create friction. Um, so yeah, uh, sensible advice. That's, um, that's brought us to the end of all the questions we wanted to discuss with you today. So um, that's been really interesting. It's been lovely to hear you kind of share some of your knowledge and experience of working across different teams. And I know that the, that everyone listening will have got a lot from that. Uh, if, if people wanted to know more about hey, what you're doing at, uh, uh, with your own consultancy or wanted to reach out to discuss any of these, these topics in more detail, what's the best way for people to, to get in touch? Oh, they can just email me Gabrielle at soulberry.com. My website, soulberry.com, uh, has a little bit of what I've done. Um, so I'm, I'm on Twitter, and, and uh, but an email is the, the quickest and best way, I'd say. And I'm happy to hear from anybody who, who probably will disagree with what my experience, what I've said, uh, but maybe they agree. Maybe they can share their own war stories because um, we've all got them. Yep. Um, but I'd love to love to hear from people. Fantastic. Um, and also, I'd highly recommend uh, following um, the, the content that Gabriel regularly uh, produces out on LinkedIn. There's some really interesting uh, posts that you put up there. I always enjoy reading your, your newsletters. Uh, I'd mind oh, to do it because I, I never seem to be good at writing content. Um, but a huge thank you for coming on. Really enjoyed it and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. You guys too. And hopefully we will meet up for a, a proper beer in person soon. Yeah, 2025, the year of the beer. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> Take cool. care. Thanks. Take care, Gabrielle. Bye. Bye.